Thank you, team, so much for for leading us so well in worship and uh, just to sing and sing to King Jesus. If you got your Bibles, Colossians chapter two, and we're going to be in verses eleven through fifteen. And as you're turning there, um, don't know if you guys had an opportunity uh, recently, probably not too recently because of all we've been walking through, but have been to a water park lately. I uh, love water parks, wave pools. There's this growing up in Corinth, we would uh, make the drive over to Decatur, Alabama to a place called Point Mallard and they had a little water park over there and that was good times. And as young as I can remember, we would go over there and, 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 and check that out and they had this ginormous wave pool. And uh, I learned that it was the first wave pool in the U.S., so fun fact there. Uh, but, but here's the thing, I remember early, early on going and there would just be tons of people there. We'd go to this wave pool. Uh, and I am, I am certain, I'm so certain that my mom uh, looked me right in the eyes and she said, son, she said, whatever you do, don't go in the deep end. I'm certain she said that. I, I'm sure she did. Uh, but you know what I did, of course, is I just couldn't help myself. I had to go to the deep end. I had to go. And so, so, so there I go. And, and I, I jump in again. There's tons of people there. And I was not a great swimmer. I, doggy paddling was, was kind of my, my thing at that time. So I was doggy paddling, just having a good time. And, uh, and, and in a wave pool, a lot of times they will sound a siren. And, and when that siren goes off, means one of two things. It means one, uh, if you're not a good swimmer, this is probably a good time to leave the deep end. Uh, or it means... Yay, it's about to get fun. The waves are coming. It, it means one of those two things. And so there I am just doggy paddling and, and the, the waves begin and they begin small and then they get bigger and then they get bigger. And all of a sudden the waves began to overwhelm my ability to doggy paddle uh, to the point where when I would go up for air, another wave would greet me uh, and, and it would overwhelm me to the point where I did begin to drown. If you've ever had that feeling, it is a, it is a horrible, horrible feeling. And, 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 and as far as I know, I guess people having a good time all around me, they're completely oblivious that there is this child that is, that is, that is not swimming right now. But I'm so thankful for that lifeguard that was on duty, that was paying attention, that was watching. And, and all I can remember really uh, was, was that lifeguard jumping in after me, pulling me out of the water, sitting me on uh, the solid ground there, uh, and just making sure everything was okay. And, and, and I'm certain that once my mom knew I was okay, that we had a very uh, meaningful conversation after that, after that wave pool thing. But here's the picture that I want to paint, is that it, all of humanity, all of humanity is, is in the deep end. And we're in the deep end of, of sin. We're in the deep end of sin. We're in the deep end of self. There is absolutely nothing we can do to save ourselves. We cannot be good enough. We cannot do good enough that we do not have the ability on our own to somehow earn our way to salvation. We are in the deep end of sin. And this is where we see why the gospel is so powerful and the gospel is so beautiful is that for God so loved the world that he gave, that he sent his son Jesus and that he came to the deep end and he met us in our point of need and through the 
finished work on the cross. He paid the price to pay the sin debt for our sin to make a way for us to have forgiveness and to have a relationship with Him. That He is the only way and He made a way. Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, church planter, missionary, he wrote this letter called Colossians. He wrote it from a Roman prison and he wrote it to a young, growing, thriving church in Colossae. This church uh, had a strong faith in Christ that they were uh, increasing. They were bearing fruit, the Bible says. They were loving one another. They were growing. And, 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 and here's the thing. Wherever there is a work of God, you can know the enemy too is at work. Doing everything he can to steal, to kill, to destroy. And so we know that there were false teachers that were there. And they were trying to basically hijack the gospel. They were even in the church. And they were trying to, uh, the Bible talks about kind of leading their minds astray. And, and this is what the enemy is trying to do. He's trying to hijack. And, and so if you were to look at this letter and say, where's the theme? What is the theme of this letter? It's simply this, is that we are complete in Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. Now we're going to be in 11 through 15 today. But the Bible says this. It says, you have been filled in Him. You've been filled. Another word is you are complete in Him. We talk about kingdom math. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It is through Christ that we are complete. The Bible says throughout Scripture... It says in Ephesians 1, 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Philippians 4, 19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, maybe familiar with that one. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. In John 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's teaching them and he says this. He says, abide in me because apart from me, you can do nothing. And so there's this centrality of Christ and Christ is the focus with this letter. And even there, we understand that we can do all things through Christ and that we can do nothing apart from Christ. That it's all Jesus, that word feels means complete. We're complete in Him. It's a boating term, a nautical term. In other words, that when we are in Christ, when you have repented of your sin and placed your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone, that He saves you and He places His Holy Spirit in you, that He equips you with everything you need in His grace and His power to live a life that brings honor to Him and glory to Him. It's all about him. It's this idea, again, if you were to say, let's go for a ride in a boat and the boat had 10 holes in it, you're probably going to be like, no, thanks. <laughs> I'm just going to stay here on the shore. But that's what this term means. It means you are complete. You are fully rigged to be all God has called you to be and all God has called you to do. And so this passage teaches us a very important truth this morning. And for the believer, it's, it's something we need to hear constantly and for someone who is apart from Christ in a relationship, it will be the greatest news that you've ever heard. And it's simply this, and that is this. In Christ, I am forgiven and I'm free. In Christ, I am forgiven and I'm free. I'm forgiven and I'm free. We need to hear that over and over and over. This is the good news. This is the gospel. Now, Paul's going to introduce us to this truth. But before he does, he's going to kind of paint some pictures using 
two practices, traditions that were very familiar to the early church. One was circumcision and one was baptism. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 verse 11, it says, In Him, so in Christ, in Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So this, this practice was a covenant that was rooted in the Old Testament between God and Abraham. That it was a physical symbol of a spiritual reality. Physical circumcision is a cutting away of flesh. Spiritual circumcision was the cutting away of our sinful desires of the flesh. This is what Christ has done. That when He saves us, He, he grants us the gift of His Holy Spirit. The Bible says that we are a new creation. Old has passed away. Behold, all has become new. And so in Christ, He cuts away that fleshly desire. I'm not saying we don't struggle in that area, but what I am saying is it has no power over us anymore. And so he, he cuts that away. Christ is changing us from the inside out. One of the best ways I've heard it described, one of my mentors said this, he said, Jesus changes our want-tos. He changes our want-tos. We want to honor Him. And He grants us the, the gift of His Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to, to give us the strength to obey. And so he introduces this, this, this practice that was be familiar in that time, circumcision. But then he also talks about baptism, Christian baptism. Verse 12, he says this, he says, And having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, I love this, in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Baptism, when we are baptized, it is, a, it, is a public, it is a public profession. It is going public with your faith. It is an incredible symbolic picture of you identifying yourself with Jesus. This is why baptism is so important. He commands it, but it's what baptism pictures. That word baptized means to immerse. If you were here last Sunday, we had the privilege of celebrating baptism. I love that. And in that picture... Oftentimes, whoever's baptizing will say something like this, buried in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in newness of life. And that immersion is that picture of the total death of the old self as a non-follower of Christ and that you're raised to walk in a new way of life. Every believer in the New Testament you see followed the Lord in baptism. And so this picture is so important. You might, might be familiar with Romans 6, 4. It says, Paul again, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so he set the table with two practices, two traditions that they would be familiar with this early church. That circumcision, that spiritual cutting away of that sinful flesh. And also you have identified with yourself, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And then in verse 13, he says this. Paul says, in you, and you, he's talking to the church. He's talking to those who are in Christ. He says, and you, who were, this is past, this is past. You who were dead in your trespasses. Another way of thinking this is you who were sinking in the deep end with no hope. That you were 
dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. In other words, you are living life according to your desire, your way, your will. It's all about you. It's all about you. And so you're sinking in the deep end of sin and self and life is all about you. That's what the passage is teaching us. But he says this and you God made alive together with him having I love this forgiven us all all our trespasses. Trespasses is a willful and deliberate sin. God has a design and he has a will for our lives. And when we step outside of his will and his design What that's called is going our own way. And when we go our own way, that is called sin. And sin always leads to a place called brokenness. And in that brokenness, we try all kinds of things to fix it. But the thing is this, nothing can fix it. (laughs) Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And so at the cross, at the cross, Jesus met our greatest need. The need for forgiveness. And the need for salvation in Christ. Only he through the cross satisfied the payment that was due for our sins. So how did he do it? How did he do it? He did it through the cross. Through the finished work of the cross. Look at verse 14. He says this. It says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That word canceled means Blotted out. It means paid in full. It means the debt has been canceled. As sinners, we owe God. We owe God an unpayable debt. We understand debt in our world. Many of us have mortgages on our home, maybe cars, different things. So we get what owing somebody means something. We owe God an unpayable debt. And that is the payment for our sin. Debt in the Roman world, they would read this. And they would be very familiar with debt talk because there would be a thing called a certificate of debt. It was between both parties. It was a signed document signed by both parties. And, and if you can imagine in that world that, that the relationship isn't quite all it could be until one thing, the debt is satisfied. The debt stands as a forever burden until the debt is paid. Historians say that in the time of the Bible that there were more There were more debtors in Roman prisons than criminals. And that if you did not pay your debt, you would die in prison. And so debt, in a very literal sense, in that time, would cost you your life, potentially. And our sin debt, our sin debt carries a legal demand. It carries a legal demand. God is righteous, God is loving, and God is compassionate. But He is also righteous and just and he's holy he can't he can't he can't sweep our sin under the rug listen sin is anything you think sue or think say or do that hurts the heart of god the bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god and 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 i'm not saying anybody's ever done this but if company's coming over and you're not ready for it what do you start doing start throwing stuff in the closets like if there's a rug you just start sweeping stuff underneath there and you're like you're like running around but guess what it doesn't go anywhere right it's just tucked away it's hidden but our sin can't be tucked away it can't be swept under the rug it can't be put in a closet where nobody sees it it must be dealt with And so God dealt with it. God made a way. And this is what the law does. The law, even in the Old Testament, what it does, it reveals our need for God. 
I mean, think about it. I'm not, I'm not going to take a poll this morning, but somebody might have got a speed ticket this week. All right, we're not calling anybody out. Maybe you've had one, but probably you know you know somebody who's got one, right? And 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 so they get pulled over, blue lights, um, something. Maybe the first question is, "Do you know how fast you were going?" Okay, we'll speculate there. Okay, and then then typically the next question's coming. Well, did you realize? that this is a 45 mile per hour speed zone. By the way, there's a, there's a sign right back there that you just kind of whizzed past there. And, and the thing is this, the law is there. The law shows us that we fall. The law shows us. It actually points a finger at us and shows us how needy we are as a people. But the law can do nothing for us, can do nothing to help us obey. And so we see that God so loved the world. That Jesus came because we owed the debt that we could never pay. Because we're all drowning in the deep end and there's nothing we can do. Jesus paid our debt on the cross. And it says in verse 14, he did it. That he set aside the legal demand. He met the righteous requirement that our sin deserves. That he met that requirement and he nailed it to the cross. And Jesus said these words on the cross. It is finished. And another way of understanding that in light of what we're talking through this morning is your debt has been paid. Powerful, powerful words. Jesus came. Jesus took our place. Jesus paid our debt. And with his shed blood, he rose from the dead and promises new life to all who would believe in him. I love that Jesus cancels our debt. And the Bible says this, don't miss it, all of our trespasses. This is so encouraging for the believer. Because in our minds, we can kind of rationalize this thing to be like there's the big sins, and then there's the little sins, and then there's these things in the middle. And, and by the way, we're, we're the ones who do that. Okay, sin is very clear. Sin is anything you think, say, or do that hurts the heart of God. Our sin, apart from Christ, separates us from God. It doesn't matter how big, how little. Sin separates us from God. But the Bible says that Christ... He forgives all our trespasses. And isn't that a great reminder this morning? All, all, all. In Christ, all are forgiven. But not only are we forgiven in the finished work of Christ, but in Christ we are free from the rule and the reign and the power of sin. Look at verse 15. It says this, He, speaking of Christ, He disarmed the rulers and authorities. And when we say rulers and authorities... We're talking about Satan. We're talking about demon. We're talking about demonic force. We are talking about the enemy. Okay. He has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. At the cross, Christ disarmed. Some of your translations may he spoiled the rule and the power of demonic forces. That when we accept Christ through repentance and faith, the Bible teaches us that from Colossians 1.13, that we have been delivered from the domain of darkness. That's the rule and the reign of sin. And we have been transferred to the kingdom of His beloved Son under the rule and reign of God. And every single person is living in one of two places. You are either living in a place of brokenness apart from a relationship with God, or you are living in Christ through a relationship with Christ. And the Bible teaches us that He has disarmed the rulers. He's disarmed the rule, the reign of power of sin in our life. Um, over in Romans 6, 
Paul communicates this way. Romans 6, 1, he says, What shall we say then? Are we, those in Christ, to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. That's cheap grace. That's cheap grace. How can we who died to sin still live in it? He goes on to say in verse 5, he says, For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, and we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His, we know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin, listen, might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 7, For one who has died has been set free from sin. Those in Christ are no longer under the reign and the rule and the power of sin. I don't know how many of you all maybe vacuumed this weekend, but um, I actually did a little vacuum in this weekend. And, and, and here's what I know. If, if the vacuum works, that must be plugged into the wall. Okay, step one. All right. And, and so, so here's the thing that you're, you're, you're under. Let's, let's imagine we're vacuum cleaners. Okay. And, and we are powered in to the wall. Okay. We are under the power of the outlet there. This is, this is what we are functioning under. But yet, but yet the picture is this, is that when you trust Christ as the Lord of your life, Jesus Christ, through the power of the cross, the finished work of Jesus, He goes to the power cord, and guess what He does? He rips it out of the wall. In other words, you are no longer under the rule and the reign and the power of that sin. He cuts the cord. He cuts the power. And now there are those times when we get in our flesh. And the spirit is willing. Flesh is weak. We find ourselves in areas of temptation. We're in Christ, but we're struggling. And so what do we do? We try to take that broken, cut power cord, and we still try to plug it back up into the wall. When we need to understand and realize that in Christ, we have been freed up. We have been freed up from the power and the reign and the rule of sin. He says he has disarmed the rulers and authorities. He's put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. I love, I love this. For those of you who feel as if you are in a spiritual battle. And when I say that, I mean, you just, you just, you just feel the struggle. It's, it's a war. The Bible tells us we are in a spiritual battle. Um, and, and whether it's a war of worry, a war of, of, of doubt, maybe it's a, a war within identity and, and resting in who Christ has made you to be, or, or you just feel like you're not good enough, or, or that you have nothing to give or offer the Lord, like whatever that might be, I messed up too bad in the past. Okay, the Bible paints pictures of our enemy. A couple of those pictures are one. John 10, he describes him as a thief. Our enemy the adversary has been described as a thief. The Bible goes on to say that a thief will try to steal, kill, and to destroy you. That's exactly what the enemy tries to do. So have you ever kind of had that picture of, of somebody robbing a bank and they're kind of in a big trench coat and they have a gun and they're, they, you know, they're kind of in their coat pocket and they're kind of standing at the person wanting the money and they're like, stick them up, stick them up, give me the money, give me the money. Okay, that's the picture. That's the picture I want you to see of the enemy trying to steal, kill, and destroy your life. But you know what Christ did through the finished work of the cross? He steps into the situation, and he takes the trench coat, and he takes the trench coat off, and all you see is a fake gun. All you see is a hand. In other words, the enemy has no power. He has a fake gun. 
And so when you feel the spiritual war creep in, and you feel the battle, remind the enemy that he has no weapon. Another picture in 1 Peter. I love the picture of, of this roaring lion. This picture of this roaring lion. 1 Peter 5.8 says that your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so the warning is be sober, be vigilant. Because your enemy is, is seeking to devour you. This is what he's trying to do. And, and we must be on our guard because, again, the enemy is the great deceiver. And he's trying to destroy you. He's trying to condemn you. By the way, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. one. some of my most favorite verses in the Bible. And so what happens is he's a roaring lion. But guess what? According to Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, he's been disarmed. So guess what? He has no teeth. He has no teeth. He will try to devour you. He will try to destroy you. But it's in that moment that you remind the enemy, guess what? You have no teeth. You cannot harm me. And so I will not listen to you. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to gum me? I mean, what, what do you, you know? And so there's this, there, the picture is this, is that, listen, Christ disarmed the rule and the reign and the power of sin. He disarmed the enemy. And so we have scripture and I love the scripture. He says this. He said that he triumphant. He, he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The picture there again, this is Roman world, Roman power. And they would go into these faraway lands and they would conquer these lands. And when they would conquer these lands, they would march them back to home base, the city, kind of in the main street. And the, the general would be in the front chariot rolling into town celebrating victory party. Look at what we've done. And guess who's behind? To public shame, those that were taken captive. It's said that in that culture that it would, it would be common for the defeated foe to be strapped to the wheels of the chariot and serve as hubcaps for the chariot. And what it is, it, it is this picture and this display of open shame that this enemy has been conquered. And that is what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us in Christ that we are more than conquerors. Romans 8.37 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. I want you to listen to that. He loves you. He loves you. It, it could be you're here. You, you haven't heard that. You need to hear that. We need to hear that. He says this, he says, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation would be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So brother, sister, believer, those in Christ, be encouraged today. Is that in Christ you are forgiven. All your trespasses. All your trespasses. In Christ you have been freed up from the rule and reign of power of sin. He has been disarmed. He has a fake gun. And he has no teeth. Alright. And so you rest in the power of the cross. This is what Christ is reminding us. And it's all because of the cross. And so today as a faith family, we are going to take communion together.
We're going to take communion together. And the purpose of this communion is that we would be reminded of what Christ did for us on the cross. Now, Paul goes on to give instruction to the Corinthian church and that there is a proper way to approach this time of communion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, it says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that He was betrayed, He took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it, and He said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. And in the same way also He took the cup after supper and saying, the cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. And that's what we're doing. We are proclaiming the gospel. We are proclaiming what Christ has done. And we will continue to do that until he returns. He goes on to say, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. And so let a person examine himself. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who drinks and eats without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment. In other words, when we come to the table for those in Christ, as we participate in this, that this is not to be taken casually, but it's to be taken intentionally. It's to be taken prayerfully and it's to be taken with a prepared heart. So here's what we're going to do uh, in just a moment. We're just going to have a time of really reflection and response. Um, it's just going to be instrumental. And just for a, just for a few minutes. And, and here's what the, the design of this time is. The design of this time is that we prepare our hearts for what we're about to partake in. That this is a, what's known as an ordinance of the church. This is something Christ has instructed His church to do until He returns. And so we're going to do that. And, and as we do, I want to encourage those in Christ... I want to encourage you to take some time here and I want you to reflect. And, and you know what? In Christ, we are forgiven all, right? We just read it. But we also understand that practically that there are things that we allow in our lives and we allow those things to just kind of sit there and sometimes we try to ignore them or put them back or store them in the closet or sweep them under the rug. But th this is a time to restore that right fellowship with the Father and expose it for what it is, call it what it is, repent from it, and rest in His grace and in His forgiveness. This is a time to reflect on what He did for us on the cross. This is what He did. He paid the debt. It is finished. But I also want to encourage those who may be in the room today or you may be listening online. And, and here would be the question. We were asked this question. Hey, where, where are you? Are you, would you say that, that you are in Christ, in a relationship with Him, that there's been that time and that place where you've turned from your sin and trusted Jesus as Lord? Or would you say, you know what, I, I'm actually not in that place. I'm apart from Christ and, and I'm living in brokenness. And maybe you've tried all of those avenues to see, okay, maybe this is going to fix it. Maybe this is going to fill that need. Maybe this is going to fill that desire. And the thing is, it never works. It's a dead end road every single time. And to what I would say to you, would, I, would, I would encourage you, implore you that today would be the day of salvation. That you would understand God loves you so much that as you are sinking in the deep 
end and you have no hope that He came pursuing you and He made a way where there was no way and that today would be the day that you would acknowledge your need for Jesus and place your trust in Him as Lord. And listen, let me encourage you, don't let the enemy whisper. Don't let the enemy whisper, well, what are people going to say? Can I say this? Who cares? Who cares? It's more important. Eternity is way more important than what somebody thinks. And not only that, but don't let him whisper, well, I'm going to get my life right before I come to Jesus. Guess what? If you're waiting for that to happen, and I mean this in the sweetest way, it's not going to happen. Why? Because we all fall short. We're reminded. We fall short. And so listen, if you're apart from Christ, may today be the day of salvation. The altar is going to be open. We're going to have pastors down front. If you're here and you're like, I need a relationship with Jesus. I need to be saved. I need to settle this. I want to encourage you to come. To come. Allow our team to pray for you. Let us walk you through what that surrender looks like. And place your faith and trust in Christ today. There's no better day than today than to receive Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the cross. Thank you, Father, for the work that was finished on our behalf on the cross. The debt's been paid. It's been canceled. It's been blotted out. We don't owe anybody anything, God. Your word tells us that and through faith and relationship with you, that you clothe us in your righteousness. And we stand righteous and holy before you because of what you've done, not because of what we've done. Father, you have cleansed us from all our trespasses, all of our willful disobedience, all of us going our own way. God, you, you paid it in full. You paid it in full. And so, Father, as we reflect, we reflect in gratitude. And as believers, that we are reminded that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We are more than conquerors and we can remind, be reminded the whispers of the enemy and doubt and fear and security, whatever it might be, they have zero power over us. They have, the enemy has no teeth. He has no gun. He's been disarmed. And you made a public spectacle of him on the cross. And we praise you for that. So God, in this time, we, we prepare our hearts. And God, again, I pray that if there's anybody here that needs to begin a relationship with you today, they would turn from their sin and turn to you and trust you as Lord. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.